Pastor Billy Shishko here with you for a special edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Today, by narration and music, we take time to meditate on the glory of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the greatest person and the greatest events of human history. The week leading up to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is sometimes called Holy Week. Well, in one sense, it was no different from any other week, from a Sunday to a Sunday nearly 2,000 years ago. Throughout the world, people went about their regular weekly activities, working, eating, laughing, crying, talking, sleeping, living, and, well, for not a few, dying. For most of the world, it was a week just like any other. But in the city of Jerusalem, in the Middle Eastern land of Israel, part of the Roman Empire of about A.D. 33, it was a uniquely holy week, holy, set apart for God and for His glory. That's the purpose of all existence, for God and for His glory, and specifically that God will be glorified in His Son, Jesus Christ. For 33 years, Jesus, a son born in Nazareth and trained as a Jewish child of that day, lived and ministered in Israel. He stunned the multitudes by His miracles and by teaching that was unlike anything delivered by the established religious leaders of that day. Could this be the long-promised Messiah, the Christ? Could this Jesus be the great king prophesied in themes and specific promises throughout the scriptures that we know of today as the Old Testament? Was he the Holy One who would deliver Israel from its hated enemies and oppressors? Well, the multitudes gathered in Jerusalem for the upcoming feast of the Passover believed he was. It's Sunday of this week in which God's glory would be displayed to degrees even greater than the display of the glory of God in his work of creation. His glory would now be displayed on the landscape of a fallen creation. Man's sin and God's grace. Man's hatred and God's love. Man's weakness leading to death and God's power that brings life. On this holy week, all would be displayed in bold relief. On the first Sunday of this uniquely holy week, Jesus Christ continued to fulfill the prophecies of Scripture by now riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, a king riding not proudly on a majestic horse, but humbly on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden, he is hailed by the expectant multitudes. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, save, we beseech you. He was the Son of David. He was worthy of their praise. He was the Holy One of Israel. And he would save, but in a way utterly unlike anything they ever expected, to the praise of God's almighty and glorious grace. Hallelujah. 
On the Monday through the Thursday of this Holy Week, Jesus taught and ministered publicly with an intensity greater than anything in his public labors of the three preceding years. With blistering words and memorable signs, he condemned the hypocrisy of the religious establishment. He prophesied days of destruction for Israel and the coming of the Son of Man in a judgment of Jew and Gentile alike. He made clear that the hated Caesar was to be honored as the political leader of the empire of which Israel was a part. And inexplicably, he not only spoke of his coming death, but on the Passover celebration on the Thursday evening of this Holy Week, he hosted a meal designed to display the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood unto death, a meal to be repeated from that point on in what we know of today as the Lord's Supper. We remember that death until Jesus comes again. The great Passover lamb had come, and he would die as the perfect sacrifice. How could this be the great political leader that Israel believed would conquer and destroy what they had come to regard as its greatest enemy, Rome? Israel of that day did what so many do in every age. They replace the real great enemy inside of us with the seemingly great enemies outside of us. They replace the fearful assaults of the devil and his fellow evil angels whom we cannot see with the opposition of earthly leaders, supposed moved and shakers whom we can see. They replace a world system that must be overcome by the grace of God that destroys sin with a world system that we think to overcome by the glory of man who ultimately destroys himself. But on this holy week, God would bring a victory against fallen humankind's true enemies, sin, Satan, and self, fallen self. It would come through the Holy One who would resist sin even as he bore it. He would defeat Satan even as he appeared to be defeated by him, who would bring salvation to fallen selves even as he would receive their damnation. Never, never was there a week like this week. On the holy Thursday night of this holy week, Jesus, with eleven of his disciples, makes his way to a quiet garden grove of olive trees just outside the city of Jerusalem, but well within sight of its gigantic temple, the place of sacrifice for sin. And there... Jesus begins to bear the full weight of being the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The pressure is so intense, the depths of becoming a substitute sin-bearer for all of those chosen by the Father, the magnitude, the inexpressible magnitude of absorbing the punishment of hell for those for whom he would die, all of that begins to cascade upon Jesus. So as true man with true feelings of pain, hurt, and misery. In the garden he prays, Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me. The cup is the cup of the bitter dregs of the wrath of God against sin. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It was coming upon him, the horrible realization that this Holy One, who was perfectly separate from sin, was in the agonizing process of becoming sin, only sin in the eyes of his father. The God-man, the promised lion of the tribe of Judah, was becoming the Lamb of God 
who would take away the sin of the world. The harmless one would be led away by armed guards. The perfectly just one would be condemned by those who were unjust. The one who possessed sovereign authority over all earthly leaders would be delivered over to death by a fear-driven regional governor. He, who would be the source of the blessings of life to the world, would be made to bear a wooden cross, the instrument of Rome's most despised and cursed death. In his six-hour ordeal of crucifixion on that cross, the Son, who had been in eternal loving communion with his Father, would be forsaken by him in the place of those who would otherwise be forsaken by God for their own forsaking him. And all of this, all of this, out of the bottomless well of God's breathtaking, amazing love to a fallen people who had spurned his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son.
God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. God forbid that the Christian, that anyone, should glory, should boast, should revel in anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. God forbid that the heights of your hope and joy in the world should be in anything but the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? We should begin by asking, what does the cross, Christ's cursed death of the cross, mean to God? How can God be different in his dealing with sinners and with a sinful world because of the cross? What does the cross mean first from God's side? Here, in the cross of Jesus Christ, is the promised fountain open to cleanse from all sin and uncleanness. You and I must have a sacrifice of blood to cleanse us from the filth of our own sins, sins committed in bodies of flesh and blood. And the blood of bulls and goats and other animal sacrifices, even the blood of mere human sacrifice in any form, cannot cleanse fallen men, women, boys, and girls of the guilt and defilement of their sin. It takes the infinite worth of God wed to human nature in a human body without sin to become an acceptable sacrifice, a substitute for our punishable crimes against God. By God's amazing grace and for His glory, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Here, in the cross of Jesus Christ, is the disarmament of Satan's power to accuse the saints of their guilt before God. Remarkably, the Apostle Paul says that by the cross, God cancels out the record of debt that stands against us with its legal demands. Not only was Jesus perfectly obedient to the full breadth of God's law, obedient even to the death of the cross, but Jesus satisfied the total demands of all the punishments pronounced against violators of that law. He paid the full price. And for that reason, those who find refuge in Christ and his cross can say, because I am in Christ Jesus by grace through faith, there's no condemnation to me. My condemnation is taken away in Christ's condemnation. In that way, Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities of the demonic realm and put them to an open shame, triumphing over them in and by the cross. Satan's accusations against the saints fall on divine deaf ears because the worth of Jesus' work more than silences the denunciations of the devil. Here, in the cross of Jesus Christ, there is what the Bible calls a propitiation for sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is the propitiation for our sins, says the Apostle John, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, a world of Jews and Gentiles and an entire system lying fearfully under the wrath of God. In the cross work of Christ, and only in that cross work, is there a refuge from the wrath of a perfectly just God who is angry with the wicked every day. Here, in the cross of Jesus Christ, is what the Bible calls an expiation for sin. As 
In the Old Testament, the sins of Israel were ceremonially placed on the head of a goat, a scapegoat, and the goat was released into the wilderness, symbolizing the taking away of the nation's sins. So, in Jesus Christ and his cross is the fulfillment of the remarkable promise that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. God forbid that you and I should glory in our sin or glory in anything that we foolishly imagine can wash away the filth of thoughts, words, and deeds used as weapons aimed at God, human beings, and this created world. Only in the cross of Jesus Christ will you find the key to unlock and open God's promise. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does that mean for the believer in Christ, the one who is married to the crucified Jesus by simple faith in him as Savior and Lord? In the cross is refuge, rest, and relief. The cross inflames our love as we dwell on the love of God that lusters at Calvary. My Father through Jesus Christ, enlarge my heart, warm my affections, open my lips, supply words that proclaim love lusters at Calvary. There, grace removes my burdens and heaps them on your Son. Christ was all anguish, that I might be all joy. Christ was cast off, that I might be brought in. Christ was trodden down as an enemy, that I might be welcomed as a friend. Christ 
was surrendered to hell's worst, that I might attain heaven's best. Christ was stripped, that I might be clothed. He was wounded, that I might be healed. He was athirst, that I might drink. Christ was tormented, that I might be comforted. He was made a shame, that I might inherit glory. He entered darkness, that I might have eternal light. O Father, who spared not your only Son, that you might spare me all this transfer your love designed and accomplished. Help me to adore you by lips and life. Oh, that my every breath might be ecstatic praise, my every step buoyant with delight, as I see my enemies crushed, Satan baffled, defeated, and destroyed, sin buried in the ocean of reconciling blood, hell's gates closed, heaven's portal open. Go forth, O conquering God, and show me the cross, mighty to subdue, comfort, and save.
Pastor Bill Shishko here with you as we continue our special edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study, The Glory of the Cross and the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's late in the afternoon of the Friday of Holy Week. Jesus has died on the cross. The loving hands of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus gently remove the body and place it in a nearby garden tomb. There's not enough time to prepare the body for burial. That would come on Sunday, the day after the Sabbath day of rest, or so they thought. The door of the tomb, now occupied by the body of Jesus, is sealed closed with a massive stone. For the rest of the Friday, the entire Saturday Sabbath, and into the early hours of Sunday, the first day of the week, the confused, disappointed, and discouraged disciples mourned the death of the one they believed would be the Messiah of Israel. And now, as the thin rays of sunlight begin to brighten the Sunday morning sky, Two women make their way to Jesus' tomb to complete the work of anointing his body with spices as part of the burial process. Listen as the Gospel writer Matthew describes the scene. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead, and behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Jesus is alive. Death, man's greatest enemy, has been conquered.
Christ is risen from the dead. So what? What does that mean? It means everything. It means that Jesus, by his resurrection, has brought in a whole new world, the kingdom of God, a kingdom in which Jesus applies to each of his people in his time and in his way all the benefits of his life, death, and resurrection. To be born again is nothing less than to be raised to newness of life by the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The Christian life is resurrection life, a kingdom that's destined to fill the earth with the saving power and glory of God so that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, a kingdom in which the marching orders for his followers would be, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to keep all that I've commanded you. And lo, never forget this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. A kingdom in which, by the Holy Spirit, those who come to Christ in faith and repentance have a down payment, a small but real foretaste of glory, the eternal age to come in this age. The resurrected Christ would ascend into heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ the Lord is risen, and despite whatever appearances seem to show to the contrary, he reigns, and one day he will return in glory. Now, Christians set their affections on things above where Christ is. Their faith literally looks up to Christ, and by that same faith, 
They join with the worship of heaven, giving glory to the Lamb of God, who is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing.
What we call Easter Sunday is a special celebration of what we celebrate every Sunday. The one who was crucified for the sins of his people, the one who bore and took away the wrath of God set against them, rose from the dead. And the empty tomb of Jesus Christ is God's great megaphone declaring, Death cannot hold my beloved Son. His sacrifice is complete and it's accepted. He's now appointed to be the Son of God with power by his resurrection, the first fruits of a full harvest of resurrected ones to come. Throw down the weapons of your futile warfare against the God in whom you live and move and have your very being. Believe in my Son, live for my Son, and when you finish your race of faith, you'll join him in the everlasting glory of his kingdom. You can't buy this. You're not meant to. In your weakness, you come to the risen and reigning Christ as your strength. In your poverty, you come to Christ and find the very riches of the fullness of God in Him. In your sorrow, you come to Christ and enter into His joy. In your felt sense of guilt, you come to Him as the one who declares you not guilty and fully righteous by faith alone, in Him alone. You are complete in Him. Your soul is whiter than snow in Him. And the anthem of your life is simply, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Oh, man.
we've come to the end of this week's special edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study, our reflections on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to impress upon you that the substance of this special program, focusing on the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is just exactly what you should also be getting in any visit to a pastor who would be faithful to the Word of God. Jesus himself, in his great sermon on the Emmaus Road, on the very afternoon of the first Easter Sunday, as we would put it, opened up in Moses and the prophets and the Psalms all of the things concerning himself, his person and his work, especially his cross and his resurrection. There is where you'll find the great medicine for a sin-sick soul, the amazing power that really gives new life, everlasting life, and the God-approved guarantee that every promise God gives is yes and amen to those who by faith wrap themselves up in the God-man, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the great prophet, Jesus Christ, the great priest, and Jesus Christ, the great reigning king. Is your life wrapped up in his? Nothing less is true Christianity. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and you want to worship God in a church that's faithful to both the Old and the New Testaments as the Word of God. Churches that will point you to Jesus Christ in every part of that church's life and in its public ministry. This program, A Visit to the Pastor's Study, is brought to you by the Orthodox Presbyterian Churches of Metropolitan New York. You'll find them in Hamden, Connecticut, in Mount Vernon, New York, in Fresh Meadows in the borough of Queens, and here on Long Island in Franklin Square, Syosset, and Bohemia. You can go to the website, www.opc.org, that's www.opc.org, and you can learn more about these churches and an entire body of churches that are trustworthy guides in your search to follow God faithfully. And if you'd like more information on the one bringing you this program, you can write to Reformation Metro New York, that's Reformation Metro New York, P.O. Box 234, Franklin Square, New York, 11010. That's Reformation Metro New York, P.O. Box 234, Franklin Square, New York, 11010. I'm Pastor Bill Shishko, the host of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Love to hear from you with your questions or your comments about this program or about anything else regarding the Christian faith, your relationship with God, or the Christian life. And you can reach me at Visit Pastor Bill, that's all one word, visit Pastor Bill at gmail.com. That's visit Pastor Bill at gmail.com. And now, let's come before God with praise and with thanksgiving for Christ crucified, resurrected, reigning, and returning. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you that you came into the world. We praise you, O God, that you so loved this fallen world that you gave your only begotten Son, that those who believe in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. We praise you, our Lord Jesus, that your love went totally to the cross 
full obedience, full bearing of the punishment of sin. And on the third day, you rose again from the dead, and you do reign from heaven, and you will return. Now bless all those ministering this glorious gospel to the end that it will be your power unto salvation. Amen. You've been listening to A Visit to the Pastor's Study, a ministry of Reformation Metro New York. Our website is www.reformationmetrony.org. Again, that's www.reformationmetrony.org. For more information on the program, check out our website at www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. That's www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. Listen in next week at 12 noon for another edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Remember, everyone needs a pastor.